All right, open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This text, it, it teaches us some things that I think will be really helpful for us today. Before we dive in, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather together. Lord, please keep our children safe this week and the workers. Lord, I pray that you do something special in their lives. Then, Lord, for us today, as we open your word and we look at just an amazing passage of Scripture, Lord, help it to be something that helps to align our thinking, helps us to know who we are and who you are, what our job is. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's our job. Look at what it says in verse, uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is our job. What? Now, this is First, Second Timothy, Titus, are what are called pastoral epistles. This is the Apostle Paul teaching Timothy and Titus what it means to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. But we also know that we as believers, that all of us are called to be ministers of Jesus Christ. So these are instructions for all of us. And notice the first thing that it says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. And I'll tell you what. I think any of us who are out in the world, we recognize that it's becoming more and more of a fight to live for Jesus Christ in this culture. Would you all agree with that? It's, the world does not like who we are. And I think that something that we as Christians, a good way that we can fight right now in the culture, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're kind of the enemy. But they don't say that out loud. So we know that when Governor Pence in Indiana decided that, they, that Indiana needs religious liberty for people. So, so someone can't be required to participate in a religious ceremony that violates their conscience, that you, you shouldn't have to do that. Well, Angie from Angie's List came out and said, well, that's bigoted. We're not going to build uh, our new building in Indianapolis and really started fighting against it. And here's what Christians, here's the way Christians should have fought that fight. Everybody call Angie's List and say, why do you hate Christians? So are you saying you don't want any Christians to use your service? You don't want any Christians to participate in what you're doing. Every time someone calls a person bigoted for being against sodomite marriage or being against something that the Bible calls evil, imagine you hateful people who are against chopping up babies and selling their parts. That's so hateful that you're against that. That those of us who are against that, when, when we are challenged, here's the answer. Why do you hate Christians? So what you're saying is you don't want any Christians to participate in your business. You don't want any Christians to participate in your, in, your, uh, in your campaign. And we just take a stand for the Lord. We fight for the truth of who we are. Amen? We take a stand. Let me tell you something. We still have pull in the United States of America. Our country is not completely anti-Christ. Many of the leaders are, but most of the people are not. They're not. They want the Lord's work to continue. And so we need to fight the good fight of faith. But here's the thing that's very important for us to understand. 
The fight is not primarily a political fight. It is primarily a spiritual fight. Keep your place in 1 Timothy. Go to the book of Jude. So right before the book of Revelation, the tiny little book of Jude. And look at what it says in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that is that there's only one way to be saved. It's all, all, anyone who is saved was saved the same way. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly, what's that next word? Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. Fight, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fight, the good fight of faith. And it is a fight. It's a fight. And we need to recognize that we are in a fight. It's a bummer when you're the second person to realize that you're in a fight. <laughs> is that right? You know, because it's very tough to respond after you've been punched in the face. It's better to punch first. If it's a fight. Amen? Man, everybody's going, tell our kid, Johnny, don't listen. He's, don't hit. That's not nice. If you're in a fight, hit, okay? I'm not telling you to go fight, but if you're in a fight, you have to recognize that it's a, that it's a fight. The Bible calls the Christian walk a warfare. We war a good warfare. That's what the Bible says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness in high places. We're battling the wickedness of this world. It is a fight. And it's a bummer when Christians don't realize that they're in a fight. And I got to tell you, if you're going into a fight, do you want the guy that's saying, okay, let's make sure that we're nice to them. Remember, you're supposed to be very gentle. Or do you want the person that's saying, okay, this is the way it is. This is the truth. This is who we are. This is what the Bible says. If you and the culture don't like that, that's your issue. We are Christians because here's what you're going to get. When you stand up and you say, why do you hate Christians? They'll say, I'm a Christian. And that's when you have to say, no, 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 you're not. Are you questioning my faith? No, I'm questioning what you believe. You may believe it sincerely, but what you are believing is not Christianity. I'm a Christian. You're not. How many of you think that's a popular stand? That's why it's called a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. We, we are fighting the good fight of faith. And I, I like what a Marine Corps... Uh, uh, General said years ago, we can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Right? And spiritually, we can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Man, if you're a believer, if you want to walk in the faith, man, we're right there with you. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, if, if you have a need, we'll be there right beside you. We'll do anything in the world that we can for you as we minister the word of God to you. If you're an enemy of the gospel, you've got an enemy in us. Amen? Amen? Because we're fighting the good fight of faith. Now look at what it says. Verse 12, fight the good fight. What does that mean? That it's good to fight. 
It's good to fight for the truth. How many of you have heard two things you should never talk about, religion and politics? Have you ever heard that? Well, that's true unless you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're required to talk about religion. You're required to. Amen? You're required to. We're in a fight. If we're a Christian, we are witnessing. We're out talking about the things of the Lord in our culture that will lead to a talk about politics. It's very difficult to talk about religion where politics don't come in anymore because we have a culture that is becoming more and more anti-Christian. The Obama administration is the most anti-Christian administration in the history of the United States of America. He hates you. You need to understand that. He hates you. We need to pray for him that he'll get saved, that he'll get right with God. But if we're going to be in this fight, we have to be able to speak the truth. They hate us. And so... We need to understand that so we're not the second person to the fight. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. How do we do that? Look what the text says. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. What is that talking about? Well, first of all, get saved. Amen? If you're not saved, get saved. Amen? If you're not saved, you need to get saved. What does it mean to get saved? That's when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. If you think your good works are going to take you to heaven, they're not because you don't have any good works. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So you need to get saved. You need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. And then you have to live as if you're a believer. Lay hold on eternal life. What is that? You have to live with an eternal perspective. Life is so much more than the next election. So it doesn't matter who gets elected in the fall uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, all right? It doesn't matter as pertains to our job. Our job won't change. If it's President Trump, fight the good fight of faith. If it's President Clinton, fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Lay hold on eternal life. Now, I think it's going to be... I think that the United States, we have some dark days ahead of us. Do you think that's true? I think we have some dark days ahead of us. That's why it's so important for us to recognize that we are in a fight. And we need to go into the world prepared for a fight. That's why the Bible says, take unto you the whole armor of God. Do you wear armor? Do you wear armor to play checkers? Unless you have some full contact checkers, I don't think that's necessary. You put on the armor when you're going into battle. You're preparing for something different. And there are too many Christians that are playing checkers and they're not going into the fight and they're just going to be mowed down by the enemy because they're not ready for a fight. We need to be ready for a fight. Amen? Amen. So it's, it's interesting. Someone said that Donald Trump is a hammer in search of a nail. Right? So he swings at everything. Like when he talked about John McCain was a loser for being captured in the war. That's a bad thing to say. Would you all agree with that? No, I, I really don't like a lot of John McCain's policies, but he was a legitimate war hero, right? That was a really bummer statement. I don't like that. There are other times when he actually hits the nail, when he hits the nail and you're thinking, man, he's right on with that. I agree. I can't think of one right now, but there, there are times when you say, man, that's, that's just right. He did really good with that. 
We as Christians, that's not the way that we're supposed to be. You know, Ravi Zacharias, he made such a great statement. A gentleman is one who would never hurt someone unintentionally. So we as Christians, we're out in the world presenting Jesus Christ, living differently than the rest of the world, recognizing we're in a fight. So most of the time, our interactions with people are very positive. We're helping them. We're encouraging them. We're demonstrating the love of Christ. We're demonstrating the joy of the Lord, the peace that passes all understanding. We're different in the world, but when the fight happens, we're ready before they are because we're prepared. We have the truth and we're ready to speak the truth. We're ready to stand for the truth. We're fighting the good fight of faith because we have the truth. And if we have the truth, when someone contradicts that, that's error. And you know what error does? Error kills people. These are important issues that we're talking about. And so we fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Live with an eternal perspective, whereunto also thou art called. Now look at what this says. And hath professed and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Let me ask you this question. Have you professed a good profession before many witnesses? In other words, if you were on trial for being a Christian, could they call very many witnesses to the fact? Would, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be any evidence of that? Isn't that a good question? Are you professing a good profession before many witnesses? Everyone should know that you're a Christian. Now, listen, if, if you're a loser, you know, if you can't mow your grass, if, if you, you, know, you can't pay your bills, if you don't take care of your family, you know, you do a lousy job at work, please, 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 please tell them you're a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> don't tell them you're a Christian. Amen. Remember, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. So make sure that you're living the profession as you are speaking the profession. If you're just going to speak the profession, don't speak it. Is that right? And then Luther. Now, you all know that I'm not a big Martin Luther fan, but he made a great statement. He said, if I profess with the loudest profession, every point of the gospel, except that point that the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is tested, and all else is but flight and disgrace in the sight of God. So there are a lot of people that are professing, but they're not confessing. Well, we need to make sure, we need to make sure that we are living out in the world what we believe. We're entering into it. We know, we know that we're fighting the good fight of faith. We're living the good fight of faith. We're ready and we're professing it before many witnesses. And I want you to notice how your profession is supposed to be. Look at what it's compared to. Verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. I'll explain that in a second. Before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. So what did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ facing the Roman governor who could make, who could, Stop his punishment. He professed a good profession. He professed a good confession. Jesus Christ was able to stand without compromise, knowing he was going to suffer. Here's my question to you. Are you willing, are you willing to take a stand when you know that the result is going to be suffering? 
Do you know that Jesus Christ had per, a perfect understanding of what was going to happen to him? He knew who was going to hit him. He knew when they were going to hit him. He knew what it was going to feel like. He knew what that whip was going to be like when it shredded his skin. Turned his. It, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, didn't even look like a man. He looked like a worm. Didn't even look like a man. The skin was peeled from his body. Jesus knew all of that was coming and professed a good profession. We need to understand that he expects us, that our confession, our profession, is compared to the way that Jesus Christ stood. That's the way that we are to stand. How many of you think you probably ought to be prepared for that? We need to be ready. We need to understand that we're in a fight. Verse 13, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things. Remember, everything that's alive is alive because of Jesus. Is that right? He's the creator of all things. Everything that's alive is alive because of who Jesus Christ is. That's who we're fighting for. You know what that means? We win. We win. Anybody here ever play sports? You ever played sports? Isn't it cool when you know that you're going to win? Man, you walk out there, you're so cocky. You're ready to hit somebody in the mouth playing football. You want to, it's so fun when you hit somebody and you see snot bubbles come out. You know, you go out there and you just pop somebody. It's just nothing better than that. The best part is when they don't know you're coming. That's the best part. Blindsiding somebody, there's nothing better than that. One of my favorite things in sports was when Mike Singletary knocked the guy out in the end zone, then knelt over and prayed for him. That's, that's Christian manhood right there. I love that. When you know that you're going, there's some sensitive souls in the room right now going, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> don't play football then. You'll be the one getting blindsided. Um, it is so fun when you enter into an event confident, knowing that you're going to win. Because I can promise you this, every coach will tell you, when you go in thinking you're going to lose, what are you going to do? You're going to lose. That's why the Bible tells us that we win. We're more than conquerors. We need to go out into the fight, not expecting to lose, but expecting to win. Expecting to win. That doesn't mean everyone will agree with us, but it means that we're on the winning side. We have, we're right. We're right. Can we all say that out loud? You ready? One, two, three. We're right. Some of you aren't sure about it. Let's try it again. One, two, three. We're right. We can stand for the right. We have to have truth. And we have the truth of the word of God. We're entering into a fight. And it's going to become more and more difficult as the culture is against us. But when you know that's what you're walking into, when you know it, man, it just helps you to know that you're in a fight. We're going to, we, that we have the God who makes all things on our side. So that's our job. Our job is to fight the good fight of faith, to have a good confession, a good profession before many witnesses that the world knows that we're believers. But look at this. Look at who's on our side. I love this. Verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice what it says. This is really important. How are we supposed to do our job? I am supposed to fight the good fight of faith without spot, unrebukable. That means I need to be a good soldier. And that's the language that the Bible uses earlier in the book. I need to be a good soldier. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So I, I need to be a good soldier. And what does a good soldier do? A good soldier understands his objective. A good soldier follows orders. A good soldier do does what his commander tells him to do. A good soldier is loyal. That's what we expect a good soldier to be. How many of you want soldiers that run away from the fight? 
How many of you want soldiers that never even show up? Man, there were so many soldiers upset about the Benghazi thing. They, they would have gone to help those people. The, the, a good soldier runs to the battle, not away from the battle. Now, how many of you recognize that Christians are in a battle in the United States of America right now? How many of you recognize that? Run to the battle. Go out prepared for the battle. Don't give up. Don't yield. If you're in an argument with someone about abortion, they, they say something. Don't say, that's a good argument. It's not a good argument. What are the good arguments for killing babies? Well, what about rape or incest? Well, kill the rapist and save the baby. And if you're in a debate, it's such a good thing to say. My opponent wants to save the rapist and kill the baby. We just have a different opinion. I want to save the baby and kill the rapist. She has or he has. She's, they're they're pro-rapist. I'm not. Is that awesome? Y'all need to use that. It is so good. That's the language they use about us. We got to turn that language around on them. Why? Because it's a fight. It's a fight. We need to recognize that we're in a fight. We need to do it without spot, unrebukable. Unrebukable, what does that mean? That means we get done and the Savior can say, well done, a good and faithful servant. Well done. We're in a fight. Who are we fighting for? The Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. Which in His times, talking about Christ, which in His times, He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. That's who's on our side. That's on our side. Man, you're going into a basketball game and you got LeBron James with you or you got Jim Alter with you. Which one do you want? Me, man. I, 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 no. LeBron James, right? No. No. You, you want the best player in the world on your team. Is that right? Is, 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 that's, no, you don't care. When we go into this battle, when we go into this battle, we have, look at what it says about him. Verse 15, who is the blessed and only potentate. What is a potentate? What is that? Someone is potent. The, the way that the Bible expresses that is almighty. All through your Bible. The book of Job uses almighty more than any other. It's more than 30 times. He's the, that, that's who Jesus Christ is. He's the almighty. I want him on my side. No, 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 no. I want to be on his side. That's when you fight the good fight of faith. We're Christians. That's who we're fighting for. That's who we're fighting with. How many of you think the fight just got a little easier? Amen? That's why it's called the good fight of faith. How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is almighty? You believe that? He's almighty. Well, then get on his side. Get into the fight. Get into the fight. Spotless, unrebukable. It's just an awesome thing. The, the potentate, almighty. And then I love this. Look at verse 15 again, which in his times, I don't have time to spend a lot of time on his times, but notice that it's plural, his times. Do you see that? His times. His times come after the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles are identified in Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 21, the times of the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 25, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant about this one thing, that, that um, 
blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the, the fullness of the Gentiles become in. There's going to come a time when that time ends and the times, His times, Jesus Christ's times begin. His times last about a thousand and seven years. And then it goes into the day of God, which is eternity. But this period of time that is speaking of here, right here is when Jesus Christ appears. Do you see that in verse 13? I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate uh, witnessed a good profession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ begins the times of Christ, His times. That's, that's, we, we could spend some time going through that, and it's really an amazing study what happens there. But who is He? He's the potentate. That means He's all-powerful. He's the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. That's who is on our side. Now look at what it says in verse 16. I love this. Who is Jesus? Who only hath immortality. Do you see that? Who only hath immortality. What is immortality? What is that speaking of? That means that he's self-sustaining. He's self-sustaining. The Bible describes it. Keep your place in 1 Timothy. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Only Jesus has immortality. That's what the text says. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 27. I guess verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Look at what it says about Jesus. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Do you see that? Jesus Christ's body never corrupted. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me, speak, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So he could take them to David's sepulcher. David's dead. All right? He's in the grave. He's dead. His body is there. He's dead. He's dead like Rover. He's dead all over. He's, just, he's dead. He's contrasting that with Jesus Christ, who's alive. Look at what it says. Verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet talking about David, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh, uh, neither his flesh did see corruption. So Jesus Christ, yes, he died on the cross for us. Yes, he gave up the ghost, but his body never suffered corruption. Me, my body's already suffering corruption. Jesus never had to worry about any of that. Jesus' body is perfect. Jesus' body will never see corruption. Do you know what's so good about that? We are His body. We're in Him. We're in Him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. Because I'm in Christ, because I'm in Him, I'm in His body, that means that I have eternal life. He has immortality. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is such a cool thing. And I want you to mark this word. This is talking about... So we're in verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is describing Jesus and it says, Who only hath immortality? Who only... Only Jesus has it. 
But look at what it says, who only hath immortality. This is, immortality is his possession, and he gave it to me. It's his. He has it. I can't get it from anyone else. My dad couldn't save me. My mom couldn't save me. My pastor couldn't save me. Only Jesus Christ can save me. And what does he do? When Jesus Christ gives me that immortality, then I can become immortal. Then Jesus will give me a new body. And here's what I love about God's plan. I love this about God's plan. God could have chosen to make this body last forever, which means my back would hurt for all eternity. I'm glad he's going to give me a new body. I know you all think that this body is perfect, but don't let, this, don't let looks deceive you. It's sick, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so glad that this isn't the body that I'm going to have for out of eternity. I don't want this body to be immortal. The great, there's a great gospel group, and they, they gave such great theology. It was Freddie Mercury and Queen. They said, who wants to live forever? I don't want this body to... Come on, that's funny. I don't want this body to live forever. How many of you are thankful that the body that you're in isn't the body that you're going to have for all eternity? Because only Jesus Christ's body is immortal. And then he gives us immortality. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Do you see that? Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. And this is our nursery verse, right? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I was thinking about that earlier. Notice that Christian this morning didn't get baptized. And I'm thankful that neither did I. You never know with a baby dedication what's going to happen there. All right, but look what it says. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. What's that next word? Incorruptible. Incorruptible, And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. How? Through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that just a blessing? Amen. That the person, the deity that we're fighting with is all-powerful. He's the potentate, the only wise potentate. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But he has immortality, and he gives us that immortality. Go back to First Timothy chapter 6. Verse 16, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto. Do you see that? What did Jesus Christ do when he came to the earth? He laid aside his glory. 
He laid aside his glory. Do you remember what it says in John chapter 17? And now, O Father, restore now to me the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus Christ laid aside that glory. God is giving him that glory back. And when that glory is revealed, look at Revelation chapter 20. See, you have to have all of your sin removed to be able to be in His presence when His glory is revealed. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and Him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Jesus Christ in His glory. Jesus Christ in His glory, in His light. No one can approach Him. No one can approach Him. Look at Psalm 104. Verse 1. Psalm 104. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. That's our Savior. That's who He is. He's, he's clothed in light, in such bright light that we can't come to it until He gives us a new body. Isn't that good? Now look, there are, there are spirits, there are souls that are with Him. How is it that people can be in the presence of Jesus Christ right now? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How can they be present with Him right now? Because look back at what it says in 1 Timothy 6. It says in verse 16, Who only hath immortality. Look at what it says, dwelling in light. Dwelling in light. How are those people with the Lord right now? Because when you get saved, you get a new man. And your new man, your new nature is completely sinless. There's no sin in your new man. Isn't that awesome? There's all kinds of sin in your body. That's why your body goes to the grave, your spirit goes to the Lord until He comes back to get that body. And when He raises that body, He raises it incorruptible. Incorruptible, completely new, completely sinless. Is that awesome? That's what Jesus Christ does for us. Look at the book of Philippians. This is who we're fighting for. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Remember that eternal perspective? Lay hold on eternal life. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation, that's our walk, that's our lifestyle, that's our speech. For our conversation is in where? Heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. Who shall change our wonderful bodies? What's it say? Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The power that it takes to change my body into his glorious body is the power that it would take to subdue everything that is. But here's the good news. He's almighty. He's the potentate. He can do it. He's potent enough to accomplish this. What are we doing? We're going to fight the good fight of faith because it's for Him. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only wise potentate who dwelleth in the light, who only has immortality. If you want to have immortality, you don't want immortality in this body. He's going to give you a new body. He has it and He can do it for you. Go back to 1 Timothy. 
Let's look at verse 16 again. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So what are we supposed to do? How are we going to approach Christ? Well, He's going to give us a new body. The old man can't go and see Him. The new man can. And He's going to give us that new body. What are we supposed to do with it? Well, go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8. For ye were sometimes... What's the word? Darkness. Everyone? For ye were sometimes... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How do you walk as a children as children of light? How do you walk as a children? How do you walk as children of light? Fight the good fight of faith. Understand that it's a fight. You're walking in the light. You're not in darkness. You're not walking in the vanity of your mind as the Gentiles do. Vanity that's emptiness, nothingness. That Pokemon game we we're just talking about it. People are walking off cliffs playing this game. Right? The, the, you know, if there were ever a Darwin Award, that's it. You all know what the Darwin Awards are? That's where the species cleanses itself of, of inferior people. Playing a game, walking off a cliff while playing a video game, that's a Darwin Award. You know, that's like the guy that wanted to see if there was gas in his gas can, so he's checking it with his lighter. Genius, right? Brilliant. That's the world. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be walking in light. We know what's going on. What does the light do? Man, you, you, walk into a, uh, you walk into a house, you turn on the light, and you see all the bugs scatter. Uh, I went to, um, I had a job where I would travel around, and someone would have sold sighting to people. They'd fill out the finance contract. I would go back, they'd fill out the application. I'd go back and get the finance contract signed. So I, got, I went to Indianapolis one time, and it was like walking into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I walked into this house, and he turned on the light, and I saw all these bugs moving. He went to the table, and the table looked like it was black. He took his arm like this on the table and wiped all the cockroaches off, and it was white underneath there. He needed more than sighting. Right? You know, that's what this world, that's what this world looks like when you see it through the light of Christ. Uh, you know, the problem that we have living in the world is we love it too much. We love it because often we're living in darkness, the darkness of this world. If we were living in the light of Christ, if we were walking as children of light in this world, we would see the darkness. The Bible says that, that, that men are lovers of darkness because their deeds are evil. That's the world that we live in. Jesus Christ dwells in light. He's given us that light. We have the light of Christ, and we're supposed to walk in the light of Christ, the Bible says. And then what does that light do? That light reveals the wickedness of the world. How many of you think that the, that the world wants their wickedness exposed? How many of you think that's the way it is? That's why you've got to be ready to fight. We're fighting the good fight of faith. 
And it's a good fight. Amen? Can we say it out loud? It's a good fight. Everyone, it's a good fight. Let's walk as children of light. Why? Because, listen, the, the only wise potentate the, who dwells in the light, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only has immortality, that's the one. That's the one that we're fighting with. That's the one that we're fighting for. Is he worth fighting for? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.